Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cyberspace and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Denial of service or DDoS attacks are not new, but the last couple of months has seen these attacks increase. In fact, DDoS attacks have risen each month since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, and they're up 62% year-on-year in the UK alone. Bandwidth and throughput have also increased. Some of this is due to more remote and home working, and some of it is down to bad actors taking advantage of a fluid situation. But how much of a threat to business are DDoS attacks? And what can IT security teams do to prevent them? Security Insights asked Darren Anstey, NetScout's CTO for security, to analyse the trends being picked up by his company's threat intelligence network. The majority of the intelligence that I'm going to be talking about here today comes from something called Atlas. Um, And Atlas is something that came into being back in 2009 when um, we realised that it was important for us to really understand what was going on around the world and regionally and per country in the DDoS threat landscape so that we could both inform our customers and make sure that they were best prepared for what might target them next. So Atlas um, effectively collects information on the DDoS attacks that about 400 service providers are seeing um, every hour. So these service providers all over the world use our solutions. Uh, We collect that information every hour and then we collate that data. And we've been doing that for more than the last 10 years now. In terms of what we're seeing at the moment, um, there have been some big changes this year. Um, predominantly in the numbers of attacks that we're seeing um, and uh, the frequency of those attacks. So we haven't seen huge shifts in terms of the sizes of attacks, but numbers of attacks have gone up quite dramatically. So globally, for example, if you look at um, last year, we were probably talking about tracking 700,000 attacks a month, roughly around the world. Um, Once we got into kind of the March, April time this year, we were up at around 900,000 attacks per month. So very significant growth in uh, the numbers of attacks going on out there. To put that in kind of frequency terms, we moved from tracking about 16 a minute to about 20 a minute. Um, the UK, if you want you know, more specific regional data, that also saw very significant changes. So about uh, 231,000 attacks we were tracking um, earlier this, well, uh, during the kind of the lockdown period, that was 62% up on what we saw last year. So again, very big increase in frequency of attacks. And you're also seeing the, the bandwidth of the attacks increase. Yeah, so bandwidth of attacks. So there's a couple of different numbers here that we kind of cover in the research. So if you look at average attack sizes, um, that's gone up about 12%, but they're still largely around the one gigabit per second level. Um, that doesn't sound like a, a huge amount of traffic, but it's enough to cause problems for um, many smaller businesses and, of course, for home users. We have nowhere near that level of connectivity in, in the UK in most cases. Um, the other thing, the, or the other statistic that we tend to talk about is around cumulative bandwidth. And that's, you know, that's gone up because there are more attacks going on out there. And, you know, if you add that if you add the capacities or the uh, the bandwidth that's consumed by those attacks up, given that there are more of them, we see a big jump in bandwidth being consumed across service provider networks as well. And I think we're up 56% in the UK um, at the moment. So, you know, there is a big jump in the, 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 the amount of this traffic on service provider networks. And of course, service provider networks are running hotter than they would do normally because of lockdown, because of people working from home, streaming more video content, playing more games. 
And of course, because of increases in things like unified communication and collaboration tool traffic, you know, Zoom, for example, that we're talking on now. So in essence, we're seeing more and bigger attacks. Um, we're seeing more attacks. We aren't seeing we are we we aren't seeing average sizes go up dramatically. So it's only about twelve percent. So nothing huge there. We have seen bigger uh, peak attack sizes month on month, especially um, in the UK. So peak attack sizes month on month, if you compare them to two thousand and nineteen versus two thousand and twenty, through you know uh, February, March, April, May, pretty much doubled. So in February we saw an attack at four hundred and eighty-eight gigabits per second, uh, targeting a destination. Um, in the UK in 2019, in February, peak attack was about 146 gigabits. So month on month, peak attack sizes have, have gone up quite significantly, but average attack sizes have gone up a little bit, but, but, but not that much. Nonetheless, it's all moving in that direction. It is. And there have been quite a lot of larger attacks um, targeting the UK, especially recently. We've seen uh, 77 attacks over 100 gigabits per second so far this year. Um, and that's way more than we saw last year. And in fact, last year we saw way more than the year before. So um, the trend is very much, you know, that there are more attacks going on out there. There are more of these kind of mid-range to large attacks. Average attack volumes are going up a little bit, but but not 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 changing that much. And you know, one interesting statistic that we talked about at the start of this year, and you know, I don't want to repeat things that you've already heard, but. Um, when I talk about large attacks and kind of mid-range to large attacks, I'm talking about these attacks in this one to 200 gigabit per second range, which is a very large amount of traffic that would be enough to knock over pretty much any enterprise that was targeted by an attack of, you know, that, that kind of scale. Um, but it's, it's not generally going to be a huge problem for most ISPs. Um, and attackers seem to be focusing in that area. We aren't seeing as many attacks now up above the half terabit level. I know we've seen this year, you know, Amazon talk about the largest DDoS attack that's ever been monitored at 2.3 terabits. But, you know, they're very much outliers. We aren't seeing that, that many attacks over half terabit now because attackers, to an extent, have got a bit smarter. They're trying to stay under the radar of the larger ISPs because they don't want to be the focus of their security teams. They don't want to have to continuously rebuild their bot infrastructure to launch new attacks. Many of these attacks are launched by services that are in fact businesses. So they want to be reusing their infrastructure as much as possible to stay as profitable as possible. So they are looking to achieve their goals. So they'll launch these attacks in that mid to large range, but they don't want to get them big enough to attract a lot of attention from people who might adversely impact their capability. Let's put it that way. Mm, that is interesting, isn't it? So what we're seeing then is uh, is actually quite an organised group of people or bodies behind this and what is the motivation primarily of launching these attacks um it's there are many uh, motivations for launching ddos attacks i mean the big one that's been pretty much static for years is online gaming and gambling um, there are huge numbers of attacks that are launched around online gaming and gambling and to an extent the increase in attacks that we've seen during lockdown um, during this period is is almost certainly largely down to gaming yeah more people playing games more people being upset about what happens in games looking for revenge looking to gain an unfair advantage unfortunately there is an awful lot of ddos activity that is around gaming um you know it seems pretty petty but unfortunately that's the case the attacks themselves that are normally um linked to this are not that large we aren't talking about somebody targeting the gaming organization you know the vendor of the gaming service we're talking about them targeting another player so it's the broadband networks, 
that you're connected to, that your home users are connected to, that kind of bear the brunt of this. The individual attacks aren't big. You know, you're talking, you know, a gig, a few gigabits per second, but they're enough to cause problems for the individual. Occasionally, they're enough to cause problems for groups of individuals if there's shared resources, things like that. And of course, even if it's only one individual that's impacted, that's usually a support call to the ISP, and that obviously costs the ISP money to deal with. So. Gaming is, is, is the big one. Um, criminal extortion is obviously another one. Um, over the years, we've seen extortion campaigns targeting um, a wide range of different verticals, ranging from media through education. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole range of things that go on there. Um, and that's obviously continuing. And then, the, you know, you get the ideological and geopolitical side of things as well, which tends to happen around, you know, elections, um, specific, uh, you know, uh, media things that are happening across the internet. So those are the three main motivations that you see, gambling, criminal exhaustion, uh, criminal extortion, and then the, well, sorry, gaming and gambling, criminal extortion, and then the um, ideological and geopolitical stuff. And yeah, some of that, as you say, isn't new, but we have seen an increase, a reasonably steady increase during the lockdown period. Is there any particular correlation between the increase in DDoS attacks uh, under the pandemic conditions and uh, motivation beyond the fact that there's more people online and therefore, as you mentioned with gaming, more opportunity potentially to carry out these attacks? Um, we have seen some changes in specific areas. So um, as you can imagine, everyone's been working from home. So that's changed the way that we all connect to the internet. So, you know, we're all in, well, many of us are used to going into an office and, you know, we access applications within that office environment. Yes, most of us use SaaS services for email and for a lot of the things that we do. So that hasn't changed. We just go straight to those across the internet. But for things like back office functions, like HR, uh, payroll, uh, command and control systems for the you know networks themselves in the case of an ISP you know those are traditionally accessed from inside the enterprise boundaries and what we've seen change is that um, obviously with everyone working from home everyone's having to do that via VPN concentrators so you're establishing your VPN connectivity to your your enterprise data center and then you're using that VPN connectivity to get to those business critical functions one thing we have seen change during the kind of pandemic is that Attackers have kind of realized that VPN concentrators are a soft target to some degree. Um, they haven't really been bothered with them in the past because, um, you know, you didn't have that many users using those VPN concentrators. And if you knocked them over, you know, the business carried on running. Most people were sat in the office building. All things were good. These days, though, if you knock over that VPN concentrator, you can prevent people from actually getting to those critical business functions because they're not in the office building. And that can have a significant impact to business continuity. So we have seen an increase in attacks targeting VPN concentrators. And given that um, a lot of those concentrators are running a lot hotter um, than they normally would be, um, they're a little bit more fragile to being targeted and to being attacked. And we've seen a lot of our customers um, kind of uh, extending their defences, let's say, from in front of their normal customer-facing services, which have been well defended for a while, um, out across their VPN concentrators as well, so that they can defend them. Because previously, you know, that hadn't been a major area of concern. So that is one big change that we've seen. 
is what we're seeing is a change in the way people are working and that change might be here um, indefinitely certainly even for the foreseeable future but businesses may not have defended the infrastructure for that so as you're alluding to there you're saying that customer facing operations uh, may be also extending that out into existing you know field service and sales and other remote functions have that infrastructure in place but now we're we're looking at a much bigger group of employees so is that creating an opportunity for the cyber attackers yeah, I mean, it's, it, it effectively means that, especially around things like VPNs, that, you know, as I said before, if you knock over that VPN concentrator historically, that wouldn't have had a major business impact. Now it will have a major business impact because everyone that needs to get to those back office systems that are often critical to business continuity simply can't get there anymore. So that can cost a business a lot of money. And there are other things that have kind of been knock-on effects of the changes here. You know, I mean, when you look at service provider networks, for example, I mean, they've soaked up an enormous amount of additional traffic and additional you know, load across their networks, and they've done an amazing job at doing that. Um, we've seen busy hours increase from being you know, just in the evenings to being right across the day because of increased video traffic, gaming, UCNC, you know, a whole host of different things. But it's some of the other infrastructure that kind of you don't necessarily think about at first that, that has kind of come under a lot of load that we really need to think about as well. So, for example, when we're all sat in our office buildings, um, use the DNS generally um, within those office buildings. It's a critical part of us, you know, being able to map host names to IP addresses so that we can so that we can communicate with services. Um, we use the DNS within those office buildings. They're caching a lot of the information that we need. As soon as we all move from home, uh, move to home, we're generating those DNS queries from our home. That 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 local DNS server that's doing the caching for lots of us isn't there anymore. So it puts a huge amount more load on the DNS servers for our ISPs. They're under more load. They can be targeted. Um, there's a lot of concern around that as well. In a lot of cases, though, ISPs have defended their DNS infrastructure, and they've been doing that for a while because they are very much aware of how critical that infrastructure is to um, the, the service that they deliver to their customer base. How do the attackers monetize these attack vectors? How do they monetize DNS, you know, knocking over, say, a VPN concentrator or something like that? Or how do they monetize DDoS attacks more generally, if, if that's their intent? Yeah, that is their intent. I mean, this is the, there is a whole economy around this. So you, and this is why attribution becomes so difficult in in DDoS because what you got to think about is that in most cases DDoS is a service. So there are booter and stressor services that effectively build out the botnets, offer a user interface, um, and then you can effectively rent a DDoS attack or you know pay for a DDoS attack to uh, target the target of your choice, and you have a suite of different options available to you in terms of how long you want the attack to last, how frequent you want it to be, how complex you want it to, to actually be. So, and in, you know, in fact, some of these services actually have trial buttons. So one of the things we saw a few years ago was, you know, there, were, there, were, there was actually a, a measurable rise in DDoS attacks actually being generated by people clicking the free trial button in many of these um, services. So there is a, a separation between the people actually managing the botnets that launch the attacks and the people that are actually um, instigating the attack from a motive perspective, if you see what I mean. So um, there, there, there is money changing hands between those two levels. Uh, but, 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 
between those two layers. So the service itself is monetized. They are a business and that's why they want to reuse infrastructure. That's why they are looking to achieve their goals with a tax because they don't get paid if they don't. All of those right, uh, kinds of things. And that's why you see so much innovation in the DDoS space. And in fact, the innovation is actually accelerating. Last year, we saw attackers coming up with um, seven new reflection amplification attack vectors. Um, normally, we see about two a year going on out there. So that accelerated. We also saw um, mainstream attack tools having the ability to rotate attack vectors. And that means um, the attack tool itself is changing the attack vector that's being used every few seconds or every few minutes. That obviously makes it more difficult to mitigate the attack. Um, that technique has been around for a while, but historically it was only really used in well-resourced, fairly sophisticated attack campaigns. Um, it was first seen, for example, in Operation Ababil back in 2013, which targeted the North American financial sector. But the innovation continues. These tools are becoming more complex. We're seeing tools that combine together multiple attack vectors in new ways. So there is a service industry around this. And it's, you know, if you want to launch a DDoS attack against another gamer, you aren't doing that personally. You're not generating that traffic personally. You're using one of these booter or stressor services to do it for you. So the DDoS industry, if we can call it that, is becoming more sophisticated. But this is not, this is not a new form of attack at all. So why are businesses vulnerable to it, given that this has been around for 20 or so years? So businesses, well, you are, firstly, you are completely correct. It's been around for more than 20 years. Obviously, over that time, um, attacks have evolved significantly. When I first started looking at DDoS back in 2003, we would have considered an attack at you know, three or four or five gigabits per second as being a pretty large attack that was worthy of some discussion. You know, now the, the media doesn't even get interested in an attack unless it's, you know, north of seven or eight hundred gigabits per second or over a terabit, you know. So things have changed in terms of scale. Um, things have also changed in terms of complexity, as I've already alluded to. But the big change has been our dependence on the connected world for pretty much everything that we do, both personally and from a business perspective. Now, as you mentioned, businesses are aware of the DDoS threat. And in many cases, they have put defenses in place to kind of manage the DDoS threat. The problem is, is that in many cases, those defenses won't necessarily defend them from all aspects of DDoS attacks. So they might have put cloud-based services in place that will be able to defend them once an attack has been noticed. But there will be a period before that attack is noticed, before that service steps in, um, where they, you know, their services can be impacted, where customers will notice that there's a significant problem. So that's one side of it. Other enterprises are relying on features and functionality that's been added to other parts of their infrastructure to deal with DDoS. So for example, many firewalls have DDoS defense capabilities built into them. The problem with that is that firewalls are a very um, stateful um, appliance or a very stateful um, function. You know, they maintain state on all of the connections that they see. And DDoS attacks have been around for over 10 years that target the state tables and firewalls. Um, so if that happens, your firewall can become a part of the problem. It can actually be the bottleneck that causes the DDoS impact rather than actually being the solution. So there are issues there as well. And then the other issue is in, 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 in terms of, you know, things like speed of reaction as well. When we have things that are running hot as they are today um, with everybody working from home and things like that, and this is especially true of VPN concentrators, um, if, if they're running at much higher loads than they normally do, it doesn't take um, 
that much to kind of push them over the edge. So having defences in place that can react very, very quickly becomes more important. And that's a different kind of thing, because if you're going to react really quickly, then you really need to be in line. You really need to be sat in front of that critical infrastructure, watching the traffic as it goes through. You can't be remote taking telemetry that might have taken a couple of minutes to get there, because by the time that you actually react, um, whatever you're looking to defend may have already fallen over and may take a significant amount of time to restart. So there are gaps in people's defences um, that, you know, are being exploited. And that's before you get into the, you know, I suppose the bigger and more obvious one that everyone's broadband connectivity has increased dramatically over the last 10 years or so. You know, mine has gone up to the thick end of, you know, a, a um, 100 megs now, that kind of thing. Um, you've got a lot of people with those kinds of connectivity around the UK and around the world. If you can leverage IoT devices, if you can leverage compromised devices within that environment, you can generate much bigger attack volumes than you could in the past. And that's enough to saturate the internet connectivity of an enterprise. And obviously, if you saturate that internet connectivity, then good and bad traffic can't get through. You know, that's where the DDoS protection services usually step in. But as I said, there can be a delay before they actually do that. So the enterprise side of things is, you know, there are defenses, there are gaps, there are issues in terms of speed of reaction. Um, that's, 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 that's kind of the one side of things. But then you also get... You know, there are a lot of attacks targeting individuals, as I mentioned, in the gaming side of things. Most of those attacks will be targeting individual people or groups of people, and people are not generally very well defended at all. So in that case, the ISP will usually step in if it's starting to have an impact on service or if you phone up and do something there. But, you know, again, that's a cost to the ISP. So DDoS continues. Um, there are defenses there. But these defences are costing business money, costing ISPs money, um, but they are delivering an essential part of our experience of the connected world. If you took all of the DDoS defences away that we, that we that we don't really see, because if they're working, you don't see that there has been a DDoS attack. If you took them away, everyone's experience of the, of the, of the connected world would be markedly different. So a lot of the problem now then is that everything's just under so much more stress than it would be in business's normal circumstances. And so it reduces the reaction time that's available to business apart from anything else. Yeah, I mean, especially at the moment, things are running hotter, especially around things like your VPN concentrators, your ISP networks. You know, they saw a year's worth of growth and change in a couple of months when everything went into lockdown. So the headroom that they thought they had in terms of capacities, you know, that they'd be building out for next year, later this year, um, simply disappeared. So, you know, it's much easier to cause congestion in, in certain areas of the world now than it used to be. It's much easier to cause problems around things like VPN concentrators that are much more heavily loaded. So, yeah. I'll put a link in the accompanying article to actually the statistics so that if listeners want to drill down into, for example, uh, the relationship between uh, UDP and DNS amplification attacks, they can see the statistics um, directly. But this is all relatively technical. Yeah. In terms of how businesses view this, how seriously do senior managers and boards need to take the question of DDoS? Because ultimately, yes, whether it's a VPN concentrator that takes uh, the hit or whether it's something to do with the DNS system that causes the problem or whether it's knocking over people's bandwidth at home, the net result of that is all an interruption of trade, particularly an interruption of being able to do business online. So does that push it up the agenda rather than it being something you know, purely for the, the very complicated threat analysis type work that a lot of people do within their IT and IT security departments? 
Yeah, that's changed a lot over the last 10 years. So if you go back 10 years ago, it was seen as very much a technical problem that, you know, IT network operations would deal with. Um, over the last 10 years, it's become really integrated. The whole DDoS side of things has become really integrated into the whole cyber risk management kind of function that a lot of larger businesses have. And they do see it as a, a key area that needs management and needs monitoring. If you think about a lot of businesses today, um, they are very dependent on the connected world. You know, we all think about the website that somebody has as their kind of storefront, but that's only one side of things. If you think about how we get paid, you know, that all happens across the internet. If you think about how we how businesses order materials, that all happens over the internet. If you think about how, you know, their finance departments work, it's clearing interfaces, especially if they're in banking and things like that, that work across the internet. So all of these things can be targeted. All of these things are vulnerable. And if they are... Um, impacted in any way, there is, you know, a significant um, kind of roll-on impact to the business as a whole. So we have seen businesses taking, you know, the whole cyber risk, the whole DDoS thing much, much more seriously over the last few years. Um, many people have it have DDoS within their risk management programs. They report on it up to fairly senior levels in terms of what's going on, what, what they're actually doing in terms of managing the DDoS threat, in terms of what processes they've got in place and things like that. So we have seen some big improvements there. I mean, there is always scope to improve further, um, but yeah, that, that has changed a lot over the last decade. And is this a problem that will some extent, to some extent uh, deal with itself as we move back to more of a conventional uh, economic and business situation because again going back to your global attack figures from atlas uh, you had uh, 731,000 attacks in a period of 11th of november to december the 11th and then that went up to 864,000 uh, attacks there uh, in in march the period march to april but as we see more businesses return to normal trading you know shops reopening and so forth people may be going back to work uh, rather than working from home will that tail off naturally or do you think that higher level of ddos activity is here to stay um, I think it will probably start to go back down again, but we're talking about going down from, as you know, you, as you just said, 900,000 a month to 700,000 a month. So, yeah, I mean, things, things, things may go back down a little bit because there's less people sat at home gaming all of the time and things like that. Um, there's less dependence on VPN concentrators, but we're going to go from a very high level back down to a still pretty high level, if you see what I mean. The threat is not going to disappear. And a lot of the threat to business won't change very much. It's, you know, because of because we think a lot of this is driven by the gaming side of that, of what's going on. Most of those attacks will be targeting end users. So, yeah, that 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 might go down again, but the business side of things probably won't. Actually, in terms of the percentage drop, it hasn't. You know, the, it looks like a big figure, but the actual percentages uh, um, slightly disguise the fact that this is actually still a very prevalent problem. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the July numbers for UK, for example, um, we're still up at about fifty-five thousand attacks. Uh, sorry, for uh, June into July, we're still up at about fifty-five thousand attacks, which is still way higher than we would normally expect to see for this time of the year. Um, last year we were at 32,500. So even though people have started to go back, we're still way up on what we were seeing last year. Oh, indeed. And is there anything then that you would advise businesses to do now? So if they haven't been looking at this or this is something that makes them sit back and say, actually, this is a problem potentially for us because you know we are using a lot more remote working. For example, we have opened up our back office to remote access. 
if that falls over, we're going to have a real difficulty. What couple of steps, what say two or three things should they prioritise? Um, make sure that they understand the threat um, and make sure that they understand what their ISP is going to defend them from. So in some cases, you will have a service from your ISP that you pay for that will defend you from some aspects of threat. Sometimes they have tiered services and you need to make sure that you've got the right tier based on your risk exposure. So you need to understand the balance there. Um, it's also important to understand what are you trying to defend, which sounds like an obvious question. But when you think about this, people tend to think I must defend my website because that's my public face to the world. But we also have to think about those VPN concentrators, those clearing interfaces, if that's something that we have, and you know those, those kinds of things. So you need to think about your risk profile there. You need to understand how quickly a defense would have to react and how much downtime there might be if one of those things failed. Because if one of those things does fail and it takes 25 minutes for it to come back, that's potentially a lot of lost business. So you need to think then about, well, do I start to need tiered defenses? Do I need my ISP to deal with my larger attacks for me um, or a carrier agnostic DDoS protection service to deal with my larger attacks for me? And do I also need something that's on-prem that can monitor traffic that can react much more quickly to any attack, preventing there being any business impact? And then the third thing really is to understand um, what kind of defenses the supply chain have. If you're reliant on things like, you know, just-in-time ordering and things like that across the internet, you really need to know what kind of defenses the other end has. Because if they get knocked over and you can no longer communicate with them, you can no longer find out, you know, what stock levels are, you can no longer order things, there's a potential knock-on to your business there as well. So there are lots of different angles that you need to look at this from to really understand where your risk is and to really make sure that you've got the right defences in place. Darren Anstey from NetScout on why it's important to look more deeply at where a company and its supply chain might be vulnerable to DDoS attacks. That's all, though, for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back with our next programme in two weeks' time on securityinsights.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the series. Meanwhile, thank you to our guest and thank you for listening.